We're just going to dive right in today. Uh, we're continuing in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, we'll be looking at 1 through 11 today. Uh, I'm preparing to uh, take a little time off after today. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, this, as you know, has uh, continued to be a truly unique uh, and yet uh, very taxing season of ministry uh, as we walk through the midst of a pandemic. And, and so I, I'm looking forward to a little bit of rest uh, but, and that's kind of the theme of, of really kind of what we're looking at in Hebrews 4, 1 through 11 today is, is rest. And, and we live in a culture that understands that the general need for rest, and yet at the same time, it's a culture that doesn't know how to rest well. Uh, we don't know how to rest well. We, we talk about vacations, we talk about weekends all the time, you know, we're, we're working for the weekend. Uh, and, and oftentimes we find ourselves, we take a vacation and then we only need to, we return home only to find ourselves feeling like we need to take another vacation to recover from the vacation because we're, we're so worn out. Uh, over the past few months, uh, you know, pretty much all of us have spent a lot of time in our homes. Uh, most of us, uh, our, home, our work has relocated to home. Uh, some of you are still doing that. Some of you are maybe beginning to, to get back out of the house. But, but you know, moving work into home only kind of complicates matters when uh, home, rest, work, all of that is like one place. And it, it's at, uh, you know, your fingertips um, to just kind of dive back in. Uh, we, we understand that we need rest, but our attempts t- at resting oftentimes only seem to make our need for rest that much greater. Why is that? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that as a result of the fall of man and our giving in to sin, that the ground is now cursed because of our sin. And our work will be toilsome. It says there in Genesis 3, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Well, that doesn't sound very restful. It doesn't sound very restful. So, so the question is is, is, is real rest even possible for us now in this fallen condition that we find ourselves in? But, but the Bible does speak of rest as well. It speaks of rest. And a quick survey of the Bible's teaching on rest reveals that the biblical understanding of rest means a great deal more than simply taking a nap or going on vacation. Uh, as, we begin to, as we began to see last week in Hebrews 3, rest goes much deeper than that. It, it means so much more than that. And as we begin chapter 4, we continue to see not only that real rest is available to us, but that God's desire is that we would in fact enjoy His rest right here right now. As we see in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles and uh, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, 
and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you uh, for the, the, the reality, as you say, even later in this chapter, it's, it's living and active, and it speaks to us, cuts to our heart. Lord, uh, we pray that you would shape us by your word today, that you would enable us to enter into your rest, to enjoy your rest, that you have made available through, to us through the person and work of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to hear and receive and believe and trust in Jesus today that we might experience more and more of this rest that is available to us so that we might live for your glory and, and the joy of many people. And we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. In our, our study of this passage, uh, we'll, we'll first take a look at our need for God's rest, and then we'll, we'll seek to unpack the, the nature of His rest, and then lastly, we'll speak on how we enter to and enjoy uh, His rest. So that's kind of our roadmap for this morning. So first, let's take a look at our need, our need for His rest. Hebrews 4 begins with a warning based on Israel's disobedience uh, and their kind of tragic failure in the wilderness following the Exodus. We talked about this a little bit last week, but picks up same kind of thought here. Verses 1 and 2, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The, the Israelites heard good news in the wilderness. Good news delivered by Caleb and Joshua, right? Part of the, the spies who went out to, to look on the land of promise and rest. And, and, and Joshua and Caleb came back and they said, this land is a good land and, and it's ours for the taking. It's good. We need to, we need to move forward with that. And even though the land was is still occupied by others, uh, Joshua and Caleb were so confident in the Lord's ability to provide for them and deliver them and give them the land that they say in Numbers 14.9, they are bread for us. Or to put it in words we would use, it's a piece of cake. It's no problem. God will give it to us. We, we believe, we trust. But Israel's response to that good news lacked faith and trust in the Lord. They were not united by faith with those who listened, it says here. In other words, they didn't mix their hearing of the message with, with trusting in the words of the message. But this is truly amazing when we, when we continue to think about this, right? We've spent a lot of time thinking about 
the Israelites and the Exodus and what they have walked through both in our study of Exodus and so far even in our study of the book of Hebrews. This is the same generation that Joshua and Caleb delivered this news to who have seen God's mighty hand of deliverance, delivering them out of slavery in Egypt through sending 10 plagues, parting the Red Sea. They've seen God's presence with them and as he leads them through the wilderness in a pillar of cloud by day and and fire by night. They've seen God's daily provision in in giving them manna from heaven each day uh, to provide for their needs. But after all that, faced with another opportunity to trust God, they fail to believe. They fail to trust. And so they fail to enter God's rest. And this warning is, is now delivered to first century Jewish Christians facing persecution. The author of Hebrews writes to them to, to not follow the same pattern of failing to trust in Jesus in the midst of hardship and therefore fail to enter in and enjoy his rest. And this warning is not just for those first century believers. It's a, it's a warning for you and me today. It's a warning for us. And the warning necessarily implies that we desperately need God's rest. We need it. We need to enter it and enjoy it. Otherwise, there would be no reason to warn uh, about missing out on it. The author also, again, as he did in chapter 3, emphasizes the urgency of responding and entering into God's rest. Verse 7, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, long after the time of Joshua and Caleb and the Israelites in the wilderness, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For the third time in, since the end of, of chapter 3 to here, uh, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, 7 through 8. Today, if you hear his, heart, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. King David here is identified as the author of Psalm 95. And what David did in Psalm 95 is he simultaneously, he's, he's kind of condemning that wilderness generation uh, for their disobedience, for their unbelief, while at the same time inviting his original hearers as he pens Psalm 95 to, to, uh, to respond to the Holy Spirit's invitation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's an invitation to respond to God's promises and faith, which the author of Hebrews now picks up from David and applies to his original audience. And it's an invitation that the Holy Spirit applies to you and to me. These words are just as valid and just as urgent today. We need the rest that only Jesus Christ can make possible. Today, this today, may be the only day that you have left. That's the urgency, right? We should, we should understand this. Uh, this pandemic hopefully has exposed, which we didn't need a pandemic. To, this was true before the pandemic, that our days are, are not promised to us. They are numbered. We don't, life is, is short. It's unpredictable. You are here today. You are gone tomorrow. That is, that is the truth for all of us. We do not know how many todays that we have left. But as long as you have today, you have an opportunity. You have an invitation to trust Jesus and to enter into his rest. This sense of urgency is also pointing to our great need for his rest. 
But we, but we already, if we're honest with ourselves, we already understand we need rest. Right? The frenetic pace of our lives uh, it exposes our need for rest. Our constant need for the next thing, right? We, we accomplish one thing and then, then we need the next thing. And then once we get that thing, we need the, the next thing. It, it exposes this longing for, for contentment and rest that, that we all have. Our, our attempts to fill our lives with a host of things, assuming that they'll bring that rest and contentment that we long for, only, only to find ourselves still wanting after we have them, exposes this reality. Right? We say things to ourselves like all the time, uh, if, if I can just find a spouse, then I, I can rest and I'll, I'll be content, right? If, if I could just, you know, get that job, if I could just reach that threshold in my salary, if I could just reach that threshold in my bank account, if, if I could just accomplish this goal, earn this degree, accomplish this achievement, if I can just make it to the weekend, if I can just get to vacation, all the time we're, we're saying things like this, but none of those things ever deliver the lasting rest we're actually really searching for. The early church father, Augustine, uh, identified this, and he wrote this in his classic work, Confessions. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find the rest they need in God. Similarly, Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French mathematician, inventor, theologian, he wrote this, what, what is it then that this desire and this inability proclaim to us, but that there was once in man a true happiness of which there now remained to him only the mark and empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only God himself. Simply put, both Augustine and, and Pascal are, are telling us that what, what we find in the depth of our own selves is that there is no rest apart from Christ. There is no rest apart from resting in God. Sin has separated us from the only thing, the only one who can actually give us the rest that we so desperately need. But the good news that comes to us, the good news that comes to you, is that this rest is made available to you and me in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit says to us, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts we see in this text and in our own souls our, our need for his rest. But the text also unpacks for us the, the nature of his rest. Some, some of this doesn't immediately jump off the page to us, you know, uh, and we need to remind ourselves that the author of Hebrews is, uh, is so, was someone with a deep, deep knowledge, deep understanding of the Greek Old Testament. Uh, deep understanding of that. And he's writing to who? First century Jewish Christians who are also well-versed in the Old Testament. And so for the author and his original readers, there are some things here that would be pretty obvious for them, but come across a little bit cryptic for, for you and me. 
For example, twice in verses three through five, he quotes Psalm 95 verse 11, uh, which says, they shall not enter my rest. He says that twice in those, those three verses. He's not quoting this to his, reader, his original readers, that they're, that they're telling them that they're not going to enter his rest. That's not the message he's sending. But what he's emphasizing is the point that the rest that is being offered is God's rest. Notice the repetition of quoting Psalm 95.11 twice, that God calls it in Psalm 95.11, my rest my rest. This rest is God's rest. This invitation is an invitation to enjoy the rest that that God himself enjoys, which means that the rest is more than just some simple stress release, but it is a rest that is qualitatively the same rest that God himself enjoys. He's sharing with us his personal rest, as a way of illustration, give you just a, a, maybe a little bit of a picture of kind of what God is saying to us. Uh, all I've really watched during uh, this, this season, uh, I really haven't been watching much TV. I've been out on my deck as much as possible. Uh, but, but I have watched, and I've referenced it before. If you were watching, and you will know if you're not, if you didn't know this, but I have watched The Last Dance, right? The, the ESPN 10-part series on the the 90s Bulls, Michael Jordan. And so, as a way of illustration, I want you to imagine Michael Jordan inviting you to come and enjoy his rest, right? What life looks like for him. He picks you up, one of his many, many fancy cars, and he brings you to one of probably his many, many amazing mansions. Uh, He pulls out a pair of super expensive, yet-to-be-released Nike Air Jordans, places them on your feet, and you're like, bet, bro, and them kicks are dripping. And that's right. Somebody learned to speak a little bit of Gen Z during the quarantine. Um, I have some teachers in my house. We spend a lot of time together. Uh, he sits you in his luxurious, fine leather chair uh, in this, his incredible living room, right? The literal best seat in the house and he offers you one of those $80 Cuban cigars that he smokes like six of them a day or something, uh, if your conscience allows, okay? Uh, and you just relax there, looking out at the ocean view, right? You're sharing. In that moment, you're sharing in Michael Jordan's rest. But, but whatever Michael Jordan's rest, his earthly rest, it actually looks like, it's a facade, It's a cheap imitation of the rest that Jesus makes available, that he possesses, and he he invites us to share in with him. That's that's the first thing that we see here about the nature of this rest. It is God's rest, his personal rest. There there are two uh, other points here, references, that are are either alluded to or mentioned directly in this passage that also give us a a more of an understanding of this rest. And those are the the promised land itself and then the Sabbath rest of God that he enjoyed on the seventh day of creation, right? And and continues to enjoy. Uh, Verse 8 makes the point clear that the actual physical geographical land of Canaan is itself not the rest, For if it was, verse 8 tells us that when Joshua did 
lead that next generation of Israelites into the promised land, then they would have entered into the fullness of God's rest because they had arrived. They arrived there. And God would not have later spoken through David in Psalm 95 about another day later on when the people will actually enter God's rest. But, but we mentioned this last week, that the promised land is itself an echo of Eden. It's an echo of the garden uh, and the, the fullness of rest and life that was to be enjoyed with God there in the garden. And when the first man and the first woman, for whatever moment of time that was before the fall, enjoyed the fullness of God's rest in perfect fellowship with him. And the promised land also points forward. It points forward to the new creation, to that day when Jesus will again return uh, to renew and restore all things, usher in the, the fullness of his kingdom. On that day, all of those who have trusted in Christ will be resurrected, glorified with Jesus to enter into the fullness of his rest where there is no more sin, there are no more tears, no more suffering, no more death ever again. In verse four, the author also mentions how God rested on the seventh day of creation from all his works. Uh, And again, in verse nine, he mentions that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, verse four is a a clear reference to Genesis 2-2. And what's what's interesting about Genesis 2-2, the seventh day of creation in the the creation account of Genesis there, is, is that unlike the other six days, the seventh day does not have the refrain, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day, sixth day. Like you see that through the first six days, but not on the seventh day which necessarily means that the seventh day, God's Sabbath is ongoing, still continuing right now for him. God's rest began with the completion of creating the universe and it continues on and on and on. And what is the character of that rest that he enjoys? Well, it's, it's full of joy, right? His creation, we, we read in the Psalms, we read in, in Job 38.7, uh, 38, I think. Uh, the creation declares the glory of God, right? It shouts for joy. It shouts for joy. Uh, his rest is also, it's not only joyful, but it's also satisfying. You, you see that in the refrain that's repeated throughout Genesis chapter one. And God said, it was good. It was good. It was very good. It's satisfying. And God's rest is also a working rest. It isn't, God isn't doing nothing now. Like we're, we are not deists. I hope we are not deists in this room. That God just like set things in motion and stepped back and does nothing now. No, God is active. He is resting, but he is at work in his creation. Jesus says the same thing in, in John 5, 17. He says, my father is working until now and I am working. In his rest, God continues to work, but his work, it's joyful work. It's satisfying work. This is the character, the, the nature of God's rest. It's, it's ongoing and it's available to all of God's children. All those who put their trust in Christ. Look at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works as God did from his. What this is also pointing us to is the reality that there's like a, there's a duality here, kind of two essences of God's rest, right? There's a, a future fullness of God's rest, but there's also an immediate availability of his rest right here, right now. 
even as we wrestle with sin, even as we struggle. So, so how do we put all this together? How do we, how do, what should we say is the nature of his rest? Well, there's something that's profoundly interesting uh, for, for us that we would not catch right away. Uh, but that in the Greek, the words for Joshua and Jesus are exactly the same, right? It's not a mistake. Jesus is the true and better Joshua. Charles Spurgeon once said it like this. He says, uh, the Christian was led out by Moses, the law, out of Egypt, out of the Egypt of sin into the wilderness of conviction and seeking after God. And now Jesus, the true Joshua, has led him into perfect acceptance and peace. And sin uh, the, and, the, and the discomforts of conviction uh, and the troubles of unpardoned sin are over. Uh, and since the discomforts of conviction and the troubles of unpardoned sin are over, he sits down under the vine and fig tree of the gracious promise and rejoices in Christ Jesus. Think then of Canaan as a type of the peace which God's people at this present time by faith enjoy. It's the same with the Sabbath. Jesus has ushered us in to that rest by living the sinless life that we never could in our place. And by dying the death that, that we deserve, that our sins demand, the payment our sins demand. He declares to us from his cross, right, the glorious good news, it is finished. That the work that was necessary to make us right with God, forgiven and restored and welcomed into loving fellowship, has been completed by Jesus himself in his life, death, and resurrection. His work accomplishes the peace with God that we are invited to enter into and enjoy. So the, the Sabbath as well reminds us right here, right now, that we have no need to busy ourselves trying to fill that God-shaped vacuum in, all sorts of, in our souls with all sorts of other things. It reminds us that we, we, don't, we don't need to busy ourselves seeking to make things right between God and us by our own efforts. Through faith in Jesus, we can simply enter and receive and enjoy his rest, his peace, filled with joy and satisfaction, joining him in joy-filled, satisfying work that he has for us to do. Now, this obviously doesn't mean you will never struggle with sin, Right? There's, a, there's a fullness of that rest that is coming when that will be eradicated and removed from us. But it doesn't mean right now that you will not struggle with sin as you enter into his rest. You absolutely will. But the good news is that your sins, past, present, and future, are paid in full by Jesus. You're set free, as Romans 8 says, from the law of sin and death. And you can now, even today, rest Rest, Christian, in the finished work of Christ and the peace and joy that he has secured for you. That's the, that's the nature of the rest. But the real aim of this passage is not simply to, to describe this rest for us, but it is to show us how we enter and enjoy his rest. And this is what we read in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So then how do we strive to enter his rest? How do we strive to enjoy his rest? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. And verse three tells us in these words, for we 
who believed entered enter that rest. For we who believed enter that rest. How do we enter and enjoy his Sabbath rest? The entire book of Hebrews is, is telling us the answer is to trust in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. When we trust in Jesus, we no longer have to go searching for something else to fill the void. When we trust in Jesus, we, we no longer have to live our lives trying to prove ourselves or trying to earn our place with God by all of our good works. Rather, we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We rest in his righteousness that he, he gives to us by faith, that he clothes us in. The gospel, we need to remember, is, is not morality. That's not the message of the gospel. Be good. Now, the gospel is, is no mere religion. The gospel is not some step-by-step -step program for how you get a better life. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has done what Joshua could not. He has led his people into his rest by his sinless life, by his sacrificial death, by his glorious resurrection. The gospel is the message of Christ's accomplishment on our behalf so that we might rest from our works by trusting in his work. And when you trust in Christ's work, you rest from trusting in your own. When you put your hope in what he has accomplished for you, you're no longer putting your hope in what you can accomplish for yourself. So how do we enter and enjoy his rest? By striving to fix our gaze on Jesus day by day by day, to fix our gaze on his finished work, his sinless life, his death for you in your place, his resurrection, his ascension, hearing and believing what he's saying to the Father in the throne room of heaven about you right now. You are forgiven. You are adopted into the family of God, his beloved child. This word strive is, is not here for nothing, right? Uh, I don't know if that's too many negatives. This takes intentionality, right? This, we, we have to work at this. There's, there's work to be done in our resting. We need to take time to be in God's word, to be in prayer, to be in community with brothers and sisters in Christ who can remind us of who Jesus is, of what he's done, to keep pointing us back to the fact that the work has been finished, that we can rest in his life, death, and resurrection. We can rest in his righteousness that he's given to us. We can trust it. But as we, as we do that, as we strive to, to fix our attention in all those ways, we must combine our hearing of the good news with genuine faith. And while the gospel is no mere religion, faith is no mere simply uh, assenting to a, a list of truths. Faith is not simply saying, well, I believe in the historical Jesus, that he lived and died and rose for me. It's not simply saying this word, it's trusting him. It's putting your trust in him, that he is your rest. That he is your rescue. That he is your hope. Putting your trust in Christ, like that is faith. We, we must trust with genuine faith. We must trust the rest that he has for us. We must, tr must trust him. 
that he has accomplished the rest that you truly need. You must trust him that that he enables you even now to enter it and enjoy it. You must trust that Jesus himself is your rest. You know, there's a a Psalm 46. Um, I'm calling an audible here. Psalm 46.10 is one of those verses like, the, the, like we put on a refrigerator magnet or a bumper sticker and we, we quote to ourselves all the time, be still and know that I am God, right? It sounds so sweet, sounds so pleasant and, and, and everything, but we forget when we do that and we just kind of hijack it out of its context and put it on the magnet or the bumper sticker, what the context of, of Psalm 46 actually is. Psalm 46 is not like I'm spending a nice day in the meadow by a gentle stream and I'm being still and knowing that he's God. This is, this is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Friends, in the midst of the world raging around you, God invites you to know that he's there, that he's with you, that he's for you, that he's provided everything you need in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And he invites you not to wait till there's a a calm meadow and a gentle stream and there's no more troubles. That's not coming until he returns, right? But right now, to be still and know that he is God, to enter into his rest with genuine faith, trusting in him. Now, if you're with us today, you know, online, in the room, right? And you have never truly rested. That is to say, you have never trusted in Christ. I want to urge you today, today, you don't know how many todays you have left, today, to try God's way of rest. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but yield your heart now to Jesus, trust in him, and you will enter into his rest. For those of you who would call yourselves believers or you once called yourselves believers, but you have strayed away from his rest, you have not been resting in Jesus. You've been resting in a host of other things, pretending that there's rest to be found there, right? 
rest, seeking to rest in sin, I want you to hear him calling to you, to hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Return to his rest. There's a reality that, that, that someone who has never known Christ can fool themselves, at least for, for a season. They can fool themselves into thinking that there's rest to be found in sin. But if you've tasted the ways of the Lord, if you know Jesus, if you're in Christ, child of God, you will never be able to do that. It will torment you. There is no rest to be found in sin for you. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but return to Christ and enjoy his rest. And for those of you who right now are, are, are enjoying his rest, you're, you're living in it, not perfectly, but by his grace, you're, you're enjoying it. Then strive with all that is within you, with all that he works within you by his Holy Spirit to keep enjoying it to keep enjoying it, to keep your heart, your life fixed on Jesus and all that he's done for you, to keep encouraging one another, to keep being intentionally intrusive with one another, fighting for one another's holiness that you, we might enjoy his rest and never go away from it. The Lord's Supper uh, provides us with a, with a wonderful opportunity to, to fix our gaze on Jesus and his finished work. It, it provides us with an, with an opportunity each week to, to savor and to enjoy his rest as we remember all that Christ has won and accomplished by his cross. Believers, just a moment, you're gonna be invited to, to share in this meal together. And even we can take it together in unison if you're ready, you wanna do that, or you can take it on your own timing as the Lord leads you. Your, whatever you wish with that. But if you're not a believer in Christ, this is a meal that's reserved for Christians. This is a, this is a symbol of, of what Christ has won for Christians. And as believers are sharing in this, this supper, this is, this is an invitation and an opportunity for you not to take a symbol, but to take the real thing, to take Christ in faith and to enter into his rest. Uh, we'll have some pastors and prayer responders out here in the foyer. We'd love to visit with you, pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. But let us pray and prepare our hearts to share in the supper. Heavenly Father, as we, as we come around your table, uh, fix our eyes on your Son and all that he's won for us by his sacrifice. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Move us to confess our sins, to repent, and turn to you in faith once more. Resting in your loving acceptance and forgiveness, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. I think it was real bread. This is what we got. And, and when he had given thanks, he, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken for you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ shed for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your gracious provision 
of your son. Jesus, we pray that you would lead us more and more to enjoy your rest. Help us fix our hearts on you. Holy Spirit, fill us with a real sense of rest in Christ. Even in the midst of the craziness of the world around us, even in the midst of the busyness of our lives, fill us with a real sense of rest in Christ. Help us to know the peace that that Jesus has secured for us. Help us to know the joy and satisfaction that can be found only in him. Move us from this place of true rest to encourage one another and to share the hope of Christ with those who do not yet know him. May you use us for your glory and for the joy of many people, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.